Welcome to City Harvest Sermon Podcast. Coming up is a word from Pastor Sun Ho. For the past few months, all the head of departments and pastors has been spending hours and hours strategizing on the areas that we believe God wants us to really focus on in the coming year. And I remember that in one of the discussions in one of the afternoons, one of them asked a question. And she said, do we really want to encourage all our members to attend cell group? And then another person make a comment and said, are we building a shrine out of the cell group structure? That afternoon, it really set me thinking. And I've been thinking and thinking and thinking. And that's why I'm preaching this afternoon concerning cell group. Why cell group? Why cell group? Amen. Why do we do cell group? Why do we believe in cell group? But the title of my message today is called No Plan B. No Plan B. City Harvest Church began as a cell group. If you remember, Pastor Kong always say that in the beginning, his cell group was so tiny that there are some weeks there's only Pastor Yong, Pastor Ming, and himself. It is so small, a three-person cell group, and they, every time when they meet together, they will feel so desperate and will be praying for revival, that God will bring forth a revival and bring people into the cell group. And in 1986, pastor was invited to preach in Anglican High School. And that day, revival broke forth in that school. 60 young people gave their heart to Jesus, and I'm so glad to say that I was one of them. I was in that revival. What a great privilege. But that revival didn't stop in my generation. It didn't stop after that meeting. It went on and on and on. In fact, it spread into other schools. I remember that those days, we would spend all our weekends together. Really, those of you that started the church together with me, you will agree with me that weekends started on Friday after school. Every Friday, almost every Friday, we will have overnight prayer meeting. At 10.30, it starts at 10.30 at night, and it finishes at 5 a.m. And then we will all rush home, take bus home to get some sleep, a few hours, and then we will have cell group on Saturday, and then church on Sunday. Our church, that's, that's right, wow, wow, right, wow. Our church was only a few hundred people then. And we knew almost everybody by name. We fellowshiped a lot. We ate together in hawker center, fast food center. We had picnics, we had barbecue. The staff, we hung out together. And we go on vacation together. Our relationship was so close and so deep. Two weeks ago, Pastor Ari shared about how he loves matabat. Is that how you say it? You know, and everybody after the service, that's all you can think about. That's all you can talk about. And last week, during the graduation, some people, the word has spread to Indonesia. Some people from Indonesia brought his favorite mataba and he was standing at the guest room eating it. And I was looking at him and said, Pastor Aris, we're supposed to go down and fellowship with the pastors. We have a meal waiting for us. Why are you standing here? He said, you have to eat this one. And I was like, why is that? Mataba, this is the one. And he was eating and he was like, eat, eat the cheese, cheese, the chocolate, the condensed milk. Okay, one man's meat is another's poison. I tried it. Uh, okay, all right. I shall keep my comments to myself and not offend Pastor Aris. But what you didn't know is Pastor Aris is a very good cook. Why do I say that? He's like, oh. okay, when, when we were younger, we always have sleepovers at his house, right? He's an Indonesian. He has an apartment, you know, that... So, so... We all kids, you know, we will go over and stay over at his house. And Pastor Aris, I call him boy, will always be so kind to cook me Maggie Me. Don't laugh. This is no ordinary Maggie Me, I tell you. He is so good at it, if you still remember, boy. He is so good at it, the level of water has to be just right. So that it's so tasteful, not diluted, but not too dry. And then the noodles has to be so ontante that it is not too soft nor not too hard. And he will always garnish it with that yummy pork floss on top. He's really good. 
you know, and every time I'll barter trade with him, I'll say, I'll do the dishes and please cook me your Maggie Mee. And that's how deep our relationship was. Sometimes, you know, I look at our lives and we are pastors now, we're so busy. I don't know, is it a good thing or a bad thing? You know, but we basically did life together. You know, we live almost every weekend together and we just, you know, we're just so close. Remember what Pastor Kong used to tell us? He says that in a big church, you walk into the church, you sit down, you look at the back of somebody's head for two hours, then you get up and you walk out. And that's it. And he asks us, he says, how do you build relationship? How do you do life by looking at the back of somebody's head? Some of you are looking at the back of somebody's head right now. You know, how? How do you do life together? How do you build relationship? You see, the larger the church is, the easiest it is to get lost in the crowd. But how can a big church maintain close fellowship at the same time? It is true, cell group. Can everybody say cell group? It is true? Amen. Cell group, can I say this? And I want to say it out loud. Cell group is not a structure. Cell group is really a community. It is a community of people sharing our life or the life that we have found in Jesus Christ. It is a community of people doing life together. If you will look at the Bible, the Word of God tells us that God is in a divine community of three. Have you ever thought about that? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all exist in perfect unity in a divine community. And when God made us, He made us in His image and His likeness. From the beginning, God created you and I to be in community with one another. If you will look with me at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Word of God says, It is not good for man to be alone. I know that we often use this verse in the context of marriage. But if you look at this verse carefully, it really speaks to us about our fundamental need to connect with others in community. You see, when God made this statement, it is before the fall. There was no sin and man was imperfect in the mercy with God. But yet God declared that man was alone and it was not good. City Harvest Church, we are made to have relationships. We are made for relationships. We are made for relationship. God is community. Therefore, He created community. The forming of community is not an option. It is really a compelling necessity for you and for me. Maybe you didn't hear me. The forming of community is not an option. It is a compelling necessity for us all. And why cell group? The second reason why we do cell group or why we believe in cell group because God longs for us to be a part of His family. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you will look with me, he says that you will know how people should live in the family of God. That family is the church of the living God. Paul says that God has a family for us, for His people. And that family is really the church. That's exactly what he's saying. And you will look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Here he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I want us to look at this verse a little bit. It says that you and I, we are called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. The ultimate aim, City Harvest Church, of preaching the gospel is to invite everyone into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate aim of preaching the gospel. And if you will look into this verse again, it says we were called into the fellowship. We were called into the fellowship. That means... The fellowship is the end in itself. You and I are caught into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Fellowship is an end in itself. 
Salvation is more than just knowing what you and I are caught out of. Salvation is experiencing what you and I are caught into. And the Word of God says we are caught into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. It is one thing to be caught out of Egypt. It's quite another to come into the promised land. All the preaching, all the teaching, it's really a means to an end. My friends, the end purpose of all the services, the cell group meetings, the Bible studies, the prayer meetings, the conferences, is to bring you and I into fellowship with Jesus and with each other. That's right, go ahead and give Jesus a big hand. We are caught out of this world into a family, into Jesus Christ, into fellowship with one another. And if you will see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, once again, it says, you are members of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. You belong in God's household with every other Christian. See, the harvest, God never intended for us to live the Christian life alone. God calls us to love, not in an abstract or superficial way, but He wants us to be in a deep, face-to-face, life-on-life, transformative way. He wants us to be in intentional, close relationships with each other. And God says that in God's family, you and I, we are supposed to experience meaningful relationships and deep connection. I want to say that again. God has a family for you and I. That itself should make you shout hallelujah. Honestly. Because that means that all our loneliness stops the moment we come into God. He has a family for us. And in this family, we are supposed to experience meaningful relationship and deep connection. Look at the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says that when they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers, so continuing daily with one accord in the temper and breaking bread from house to house, They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. When we look at the early church, we see that these believers didn't just connect in the church or what they call the temple. They actually got connected to the cell group or to individual cell groups, what they call house to house. So how was the early church able to grow so rapidly? Remember, they didn't have buildings. They didn't have multimedia or high-tech equipment or some marketing strategy. So how? How did they grow so rapidly? How did they grow so quickly? They focused on relationship. Relationship. Everybody say relationship. Relationship. One more time. Relationship. Relationship. That's how they grew. They focused on relationship. It started with 120. And then the Word of God says 3,000 were added to them, then 5,000. The historian says that after 25 years, 100,000 members were exempted in that church. Out of a population of 200,000 people in Jerusalem, that is 50% of the population in one church. And all they did, they focused on relationship, fellowship in Jesus Christ and with one another. Cell group, listen carefully, was their way of life. Cell group was their way of life. In today's culture, cell groups are often viewed merely as one of the many ministries in church. And City Harvest Church, if we are not careful, we become like that too. Cell group becomes one of the many ministries in our church. But if you look at the early church, cell group was their way of life. Their relationship with one another was so critical to their pursuit of Jesus and their evangelism. To them, 
Having strong relationships in cell group, it's about being the church and not just doing church. I think you didn't hear me. You know, having strong relationship in cell groups for them is being the church and not just doing church. We need cell group to do life together, City Harvest. A cell group allows us to be authentic. You know, we live in an increasingly disconnected world. Though social media somehow has made our world more connected, yet ironically, people have fewer genuine friends than ever before. It feels scary to open up ourselves to others. It is much easier to just stay on the surface. But yet, can I say to you, when you and I decide and make the effort to be authentic with a small group of people, we can experience God's grace and God's love flowing through them to us. I want to share with you a beautiful verse that I love so much. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 from the message version. Romans 12, verse 9. It says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. In cell group, it is a place, it is a community where we are supposed to support each other when we are in need, when we are in pain, when we are in lack. But in order for that to happen, you and I must be willing to be real, to be authentic, even in our weakest moments. It must be three weeks after pastor and the rest was, were taken away. And I remember one late afternoon, I was at home and I just lost it. I was overcome by my emotion and I just started crying nonstop in my bedroom. And Dan came through the door after his school and caught me crying. I felt so bad because I really didn't want him to see me in this state. And he came to me without saying anything, lay on that bed with me, with his arms across me, and he said to me, Mommy, I love you. Mommy, I love you. When I heard that, I cried even more, and he cried. I don't know how long I cried. I cried for hours, really. And then it dawned upon me that it's cell group day. I'm supposed to go cell group. So I tried to get up. I tried to get dressed. And Dan looked at me and said, Mommy, what are you doing? I said, Dan, it's cell group day. We've got to go cell group. And he said, Mommy, please don't do that. Don't do that, Mommy, please. You know, don't, don't. I'm sure they will understand. I said, babe, it's really all right. I'm not preaching. I just want to go cell group. You know, let's just go cell group. He said, Mommy, no. And he took my phone and started texting. I know that he must be texting some of the cell group members that are closer to him and must be telling them, my mommy is crying. She's not coming to cell group. <laughs> right? You know, with kids, there's no censorship, right? They don't censor. They just say it as it is. But I was so exhausted from all the crying, I fell asleep. And the next thing I knew, the doorbell rang. And later on, I found that the cell group or my cell group decided that they are not going to have cell group without me. So they brought cell group to my house. They brought themselves to my house. They brought food to my house. And that day, they fellowship with me. They love me. They spend the night with me. That is what cell group is about. And I looked through my Instagram and saw this post that I wrote weeks after how I feel about my family or my cell group. I said, I finally, finally found some time to post this picture. Thank you guys for celebrating my birthday with me. In this past months, I've experienced selfless love from so many of you. You cried with me, prayed for me, put up with my crazy emotions. You pink me up when there's no more strength remaining to me. You push me out of the door to get sunlight. You literally fed me. And most of all, you love me. Each day, you just keep loving me and walk with me, making sure that I know I'm not alone in this. So to my family, thank you for being Jesus to me.
that is my cell group. And I'm so thankful that I have a cell group. We are supposed to enjoy meaningful relationship and deep connection in God's family. And if you and I are willing to be authentic and love from the center of our life and our heart and don't fake it, we will experience God's grace and love through these people. We need cell group to do life together. A cell group also allows us to show empathy. Everybody say empathy. Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Empathy simply means to understand and affirm each other's feelings, problems, and pain. Empathy meets two humans' greatest needs. You want to know what that is? First, the need to be understood. As human, we have two great needs. One is to be understood, and the second the need to have our feelings validated. What does that mean to have feelings validated? It means for someone to tell us that it's okay to feel how we feel at this time. For example, you may be thinking, am I weak for feeling this way? Am I being unspiritual? Son, am I a disappointment to God, to church, to my family? And empathy says, no, you're not a disappointment. No, you're not unspiritual. You're simply being a human being. And I want to share with you a very interesting verse. It says in Job chapter 6, verse 14, a despairing man should have the devotion of his friends even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. What a verse, isn't it? A despairing man should have the devotion of his friends even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. The verse says that when you are going through a time where you feel so crushed, you don't even know whether do you still believe in God, yet you deserve a friend. You deserve a friend. I want you to think back on a time when you are filled with doubts and pain, but you couldn't pray and maybe you are even angry with God. How do you walk out of that? Chances are, think to yourself, chances are there's a friend that walked you through that doubt and pain, isn't it? And that's what cell group is for. That's why we need cell group. Cell group allows us to be authentic. Cell group allows us to show empathy. And thirdly, a cell group allows us to learn accountability. Everybody say accountability. Why? Why do you and I need accountability? In this society, the last thing we want is to account to anyone. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, another interesting verse. Verse 9. Two are better than one because together they can work more effectively. If one of them falls down, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone and falls... It's just too bad <laughs> because there's no one to help him. Two people can resist an attack that would defeat one person alone. A rope made of three cords, it's hard to break. Amen and amen. It is in cell group that we get close enough to know each other, to care, to share, to challenge, to support, to confide, to forgive and to be forgiven. It is in cell group that we learn how to laugh together, to weep together, to watch over each other, and to grow together. How many of you will admit to me that we are more consistent in our spiritual habits if there's someone there to encourage us? How many of you will admit that? Bible reading, remember Bible reading? Bible reading, yeah, yeah, Bible reading. How many of you know that we will be more consistent in that if there's someone there to remind us, to encourage us, remember your Bible reading? Personal growth does not happen in isolation. Personal growth does not happen in isolation. Recently, I heard of a testimony, and it encouraged me so much because, once again, it reminded me why cell group. Why do we believe in cell group? Why do we do cell group? Why do we have cell group in City Harvest Church? So I want you to put your hands together to welcome Jeff. 
Come. That's right, encourage him, all right? He's a little bit nervous. Chef, I was very encouraged. Very, very touched by your testimony. So I would love that you share with the church. Okay. Oh, someone said that you're handsome. He's not just handsome, he's very spiritual too. Okay. Hi, church. My name is Jeff, and I'm from E552 from CL Zone. I am here to testify how God has planted me in this cell group, which has become a precious family to me. My father passed away when I was very young, and after my mom got remarried, she moved to JB. While I have a sister, we live separately. She stayed with my uncle's family while I live with another aunt. Without a father figure in my life, I often felt insecure and ashamed. I became a person who was very closed up. My aunt decided to move back to Malaysia for a new job. I had no choice but to start living alone in a one-room flat all by myself at the age of 14. Since then, I have been traveling to JB once a month to collect my allowance from my mother even up to today. Often, I would not have enough money to buy food and had to go hungry. Despite feeling abandoned and neglected, I did not dare share these feelings with anyone as I was afraid that people would look down upon me. Living alone without any supervision took a toll on my, on my results. Due to, due to my bad results, I dropped from the express stream to the normal academic stream by the end of secondary two. I gave up on my studies and, and, and often skipped school as well. Even though I was safe, I was unmotivated in my studies. This continued until last June, when I was already in secondary four. Seeing my horrendous result for my prelims, my teacher got worried and, and con decided to contact my sister for help. My sister contacted my cell group leader, Lips, for help. And that was also when Lips, that was also when Lips found out about my living situation. I remember how I had to meet up with Lips together with my sister. I was so fearful then, having to be transparent in front of my leader, having to be transparent and vulnerable in front of my leader. I recall myself crying uncontrollably in front of Lips as I shared with her the real me. But that night I felt free. I felt like I can be who I am without, without I, I feel like I can be who I am without wearing a mask. Lips accepted me for who I am and showered me with unconditional love and grace. She understood how I might feel embarrassed and fearful, but she lovingly and patiently encouraged me to slowly, to slowly open up to my cell group members about my real situation. She also, taught me about the, she also taught me the importance of accountability. After feeling reassured, I decided to open up and share with my cell group the challenges I faced. The worries I used to have about how others would perceive me dissolve as, as I received unconditional love and support. Indeed, here was a group of people who weren't there just to be spectators, but a non-judgmental and accepting spiritual family. E552 is indeed a cell group that doesn't, doesn't just simply talk the talk, but walk the walk. The small one-room flat that, I, that never used to have any visitors is now open to my cell group leader and members. They will visit my home from time to time and would even help me to clean and tidy, tidy it up. Some even came just to practice guitar and simply spend time to fellowship with me. Whenever I am financially tight, my cell group members would generously bless me with meals. On top of that, they constantly motivated and cheered me on during the exam period. Help also came from the other cell group members in the zone. After Lips shared with my ZS cat about what I'm going through, she opened up her house for me to study every Monday. She would garner different zone members to tutor me and even prepare home-cooked meal for us. As a result of the love and support, things started to change. I picked myself up and 
begin to study hard for my exams. If I five tools, demonstration of God's goodness, generosity, patience, and love continued throughout the year. As a result, I obtained 15 points for my EMB3 in my end level. All glory to God. Today, I am in the ITE DPP program which, and would later proceed to study in a local polytechnic. I am given more opportunities to participate in school competitions in which I won prizes. On the 11th of August this year, I topped the class for my project presentation. What my secondary school teacher did initiated a huge turning point in my life. Today, I am convinced and convicted by the importance of accountability and transparency in my life. Because it is through that, I saw love in action. Thank you, Cat, Lips, E552, and the various... and the various members in the zone for being there for me for, and for loving me for who I am. Most importantly, I thank God that He loves me enough to send all of you into my life. Amen. All glory to God. That's what God intended for His family to be. Meaningful relationship, deep connection. We need a cell group to do life together. And lastly, a cell group allows us to be discipled. Jesus was the greatest cell group leader in history. And honestly, this alone is enough reason why we should have cell group in City Harvest Church. Discipleship, if you look into the Bible, was the focus of Jesus' ministry. And in City Harvest Church, we always say that true discipleship happens in the most natural circumstances. The 12 were never discipled in a classroom setting. Neither were they some Bible scholars. But discipleship happened as they did life together with Jesus. When they followed Jesus everywhere he went, eating together, attending weddings and functions. It was under these ordinary circumstances where their values were challenged attitude fine-tuned, and character was developed. And I totally understand what it means to have our values challenged. I remember it was in Hollywood theater. We were meeting in Hollywood theater at the time. And those times we just started the church, we don't have a lot of finances to employ people to clean up the premises. So every one of us would be rostered, you know, to, to do area cleaning. So that day, Together with a few people, I was being rostered to wash the toilet. I was really excited, actually. Okay, you came out wrong. I was really confident. Being an old city, you know, and um, having a neatness fetish, I was really actually quite excited, you know, to clean the toilet and thinking that I would do a great job. You should see my face, you know, when, when the toilet was cleaned up. And I went to look for Pastor Yong. You see, Pastor Young was appointed the inspector of all toilets. Don't ask me why. So, you know, I was so excited. You know, you should see the confidence on my face. So I went to him and it's like, Pastor Young, I'm done. Can you please come to the toilet and check? You know, and I was like, ta-da! You know, and I was, I was so confident, you know, that I have cleaned up the toilet so beautifully, so clean. And then, first of all, Pastor Young, just expressionless at first, didn't look too impressed. And then he did this. When he did this, my heart sank. I know exactly what he wanted to do. He did this, and he glided his finger on top of the toilet door. <laughs> and then he showed me his fingers, the dirt on the fingers. And my heart sank because I'm not very tall, as you can see. <laughs> and who cleans toilets and think about the toilet door, right? So... He showed the dirt on his fingers and he said three words, do it again. I tried to argue back and I said, Pastor Yong, nobody come to the toilet and put their fingers, you know, and glide their fingers on the toilet door, on top of the toilet door. 
And then he said, is this part of the toilet? <laughs> Pastor Yon, don't kill me. You know that I love you. <laughs> but the truth is the truth. You know? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So is this part of the church? Yeah. Do it again. And he left. I tell you, when he left, I cried. <laughs> right? As I was cleaning out that toilet again, this time especially the top of the door. <laughs> but when I was cleaning the top of the door, I felt convicted in my heart that I'm to love the house of God. It really doesn't matter whether do I do it again or again, or again and again. And it doesn't matter really whether anyone bothers about the top of that door, whether it has dirt or not. But this is the house of God. And I love to keep it clean. I'll do my part to love the house of God. And that day, I was discipled. And Pastor Yong, if you're in this service, your discipleship is very Guan Yong. Because until today, I still clean toilets. Even in Suntech. When it's dirty, I still clean it up. The girls would testify to that. You know, and I still pick up thread on the floor when no one can see. If I see it, I'll pick it up. The love for the house. So I'm quite sure that by the end of this service, the house will be very clean, right? <laughs> we will all love the house. Even if no one sees it, we love God. We love the house of God. We will pick it up. We will clean it. Keep it clean. Discipleship. Discipleship. You see, we can develop talent all alone, but we can only develop character when we are open up to someone else, when we are willing to open up to someone else. You can read all the books you want, listen to all the podcasts you want, Furtick and everybody, you can listen, and you can watch all the YouTube videos. But the only way to develop the character of Christ-likeness in you and in us is when we are willing to be discipled. Everybody say discipled. discipled. You know, and having Pastor Kong as my cell group leader then, many years under him, you can imagine the discipleship moments or the many discipleship moments that I have had with him. I remember one afternoon, he called me and he said, son, I feel that you are ready to do follow-up on some of the members. I was so excited. I said, oh yeah? You know, and I felt like, you know, I was the woman of the hour. You know, finally, I'm mature enough, you know, to, 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 to do follow-up on some of the members. And he gave me a list of about four to five names and taught me how to do follow-up on these people. And I really got so excited that night, I remember I'd make the first phone call and I called this sister, I called this girl. And as I talked to her for a while, I realized that, hey, you know, someone else is actually following up on her already. So I thought to myself, okay, maybe Pastor Kong, you know, maybe Brother Kong make a mistake, you know, he overlooked it. So I make the second call. And then this time, this person, also told me that someone else has, you know, is already, I mean, in the course of conversation, you know, I realized that someone else is also reaching out to this person. By now, I was a little bit offended. You know, and I went on, third call, fourth call, it's all the same. All these people have someone else reaching out to them. And I remember that every Thursday was follow-up night. We will all come to Brother Kong and share with him, you know, and give a report of the people that we have follow-up on, you know, and how we have prayed with them or help them or uh, etc. So it came to my turn. You can see the attitude on my face. <laughs> right? It's like, <laughs> right? It's like, you know, and my face was like attitude with a capital A. Seriously. You know, and then, we, and, and then he asked me, okay, son, you know, tell me what you have learned about these people, how you have helped them. And I said, Brother Kong, I think you make a mistake, you know. All the names that you gave me, right, these people already have people following up on them. And he said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I was like, and then? <laughs> and then he said, I want to be sure that if any one of you miss out on one of them, or you are busy and you didn't do your follow-up, that this person will still be reached out to and be followed up on through the week. So he said, okay, so can you tell me what have you learned about these people and how have you helped them? <laughs> it was like that. I was so upset about knowing that someone else is already helping them, 
I don't remember the conversation. I don't think I blessed them in any way. You know, maybe they are the one that counseled me. I don't know. I can't remember. You know, but I have nothing to say. And at that time, you know, none of us have handphones. So he took the landline, put it in front of me, call now. But I learned, I learned the value of being faithful. I learned about something. And he said this to me. He said, you don't just help someone to make yourself feel important. You help them because they need help. You help them and you be grateful that you can be a blessing to them. And that stays with me. We don't help others just to make us feel great that we are the woman or the man of the hour. We help because it's a privilege that God has given to us to serve one another. You need to be willing to open up, to be discipled so that your character can be more Christ-like. If you read the gospel, you see that Jesus fed the 5,000 and he preached to big crowds. But if you look carefully into the pages of the Gospels, you see that his heart was really for his disciples. He would have the 70 and then the 12. Jesus enjoyed living every day with his 12 disciples to train them, to equip them, to give them a vision that's larger than themselves. He believed in them, defended them, prayed for them, rebuilt them, served them. And the Bible says that he loved them to the very end. And today I want to end by talking about Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples. When we think about Peter, or every time when we think about Peter, we will remember him as one that has denied Christ and the one that sank while trying to walk on water. But recently, when I was meditating on Peter's encounters with Jesus, I had my moment with the Lord. You see, in Matthew chapter 14, the Bible says that after Jesus fed the 5,000, he asked the disciples to get into the boat to go to the other side. And that he will, went up, he will go up to the mountain to pray. And the Bible says that the disciples were caught in a violent storm in the Sea of Galilee. And about 4 a.m., Jesus came to them walking on water. And while other disciples were wondering if they were seeing ghosts, Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. And before anyone knew it, Peter got out of the boat and started walking on water. While the rest of the disciples were still trying to grab hold to the boat and try not to fall overboard in that storm, Peter jumped out without a second thought. City Harvest, what do you see from this story? What I saw that afternoon was this. I saw involvement. Serious involvement. Peter just wanted to be involved in whatever Jesus was doing. Be where Jesus was. That's why he says, Jesus, if you're walking on water, please let me walk on water too. The Bible says that only after he left the boat, walked some distance, and saw the boisterous waves, did he become afraid and started to sink. People often look at this incident and criticize Peter's lack of faith. But what we didn't consider is, Peter was the only disciple that had faith to walk on water. That day, Peter was the only disciple that experienced the miracle of walking on water. Sure, shortly after that, momentarily, Peter sank. But the word of God said so beautifully, Jesus went to him, reached out to him, and they walked on water back to the boat in that storm. I believe with all my heart that Peter's walking on water experience was still complete, but this time with Jesus right by his side. I waited 
for a long time, and the pastoral team will know. For a meeting like this, to be able to thank you, cell group leaders. When I read about Peter, when I said I have my moment, I wept in my room because I thought of you. Cell group leaders, I want to thank you for your involvement. You could have chosen to walk away this last seven years, but you believe that Jesus is with us. You plunge into that storm. You walk on water. You saw how souls still got saved. People healed. Miracles happening all around. You kept on believing. But the storm didn't stop. The storm did not cease. And when Pastor and the team were taken away, momentarily you feel like Peter you felt like you were sinking. Some of you couldn't stop crying. And you wondered, how could you go on with your lives? Yet others, you felt like your faith was being shipwrecked. And many of you were being ridiculed, mocked at. And like Peter, people say to you, you shouldn't have believed. You shouldn't have jumped out of that boat. But tell good leaders, look at what God has done for us in this house. The fresh anointing that he has brought into this house and to you. I do believe with all my heart that we are still on our walking on water miracle. But this time, with Jesus close by our side. Yes. He's bowed When I thought about Peter and his denial, like many of you, I used to focus on how he didn't deny Jesus one time, two times, but three times. But that afternoon, my heart was so moved when it suddenly dawned upon me that Peter and John were the only ones that followed Jesus that day. When all the disciples had fled in fear just before Jesus' crucifixion, it was Peter and John, two of them alone, following Jesus at a time where their own safety was being threatened. In the courtyard of the high priest, it was Peter, only one, the only one that's close enough for Jesus to turn and look at him straight in his eyes before the rooster crowed. He was so close, the only one that's close enough for Jesus to turn and look straight into his eyes. Long after all the disciples had fled, Peter came so close, all alone, in a vulnerable position where he could be tempted to deny Christ. But that day I learned, the fact is, in spite of his fear and his weakness, he couldn't abandon Jesus completely. He followed as close as he could. And cell group leaders, it could have been easier for you not to be a leader for this last seven years, for you not to put yourself in a position where you see the vulnerability of your respected leaders. City Harvest Church, you to be so strong. We used to think that we can do anything. But this last seven years, you saw the vulnerability of the leadership. It would have been easier, less heartbreaking, if you just don't allow yourself to come to this place to be so vulnerable to see our weaknesses. But like Peter, you stayed close. You sit so close that you feel so vulnerable. I'm sure some of you in this last seven years may have found yourself tempted to disassociate yourself with this church and its leadership. 
And it would have been totally understandable. But after seven years, you're still here, serving God alongside with me. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you. Cell group leaders, I want to thank you that this church is still standing. Beside Jesus, it's because of you. Like Peter, you couldn't bring yourself to abandon us completely. You stand. And I know that throughout these seven years, some of you have gotten so discouraged. Your cell group was not growing. You run out of ideas of how to challenge your members to continue to be committed to the Lord. As much as it has been a trial for our respected leaders, it became your own personal trial. You saw struggles and doubts that you never thought existed in your heart. And you start to wonder whether are you still the man and the woman for this call. The title of my message is No Plan B. When Jesus selected the 12 disciples, He had no plan B in mind. There was no alternative plan if this 12 would fail or should fail. Jesus knew fully well of how perfectly ordinary, unexceptional, and fallible these individuals are. But yet, Jesus knew one thing. They have been with Him. Sell good leaders. You have been with Jesus. You have been discipled. And Jesus knows when the Holy Spirit comes, these disciples will be turned into someone else power of God will come upon them. And the day of Pentecost came and whoosh, they became the servant of God that literally turned the whole world upside down. 2,000 years later, the gospel is in our hand because of this 12. There is no plan B. You are God's plan A for this house. So good leaders. There's no plan B in God's mind. God sees you through His eyes of faith. And He says to you that the call of God upon your life is irrevocable. And I know as we press Him into this fresh anointing that He's pouring upon us when the Holy Spirit comes, we will be turned into that man and that woman, that servant of God for Him. And I know that this church, the future of this church, will be bright because of you. So cell group leaders, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for not abandoning us. And I want you to know that this leadership is committed to work alongside with you, to empower you, to train you, to love you, to walk with you, because there is no plan B. We are God's plan A. And this afternoon, I want the pastors to pray for you. When I fellowship with you, when I hear your stories, my heart often breaks because I know the burden that you face in your cell group, in your own life. But yet each time you put aside your own difficulties. And every week, you show up. You show up. You give yourself to this house. You give yourself to the people. Whether they show up or not, two person, three people, four people, five people, you show up again and again. You prepare your sermon as if you're preaching to 5,000. And I want to thank you for your faithfulness. And I want to say that God, that God will anoint you God will open a way and God himself will grow this church. Can we all stand up together right now? That's right, give Jesus a big hand. And give all the cell group leaders. 
Gib Ort, dass auch geblieben ist, Herr. And Saugum leaders, I want you to come to the front right now. I want to pray for you. I want the pastors to pray for you. I want to believe God that this afternoon, this evening, the anointing of God is going to fall upon you in such a fresh way that your life will never be the same again. I want you to place your life one more time on the altar. That dream that you think perhaps have died. I want you to place it on that altar because the fire, the all-consuming fire of God is going to come and touch you and bless you and revive you and anoint you. It is in our hands. 
We ask that you continue to change us, continue to mow us. Our Father, all consuming fire, come and consume us, O oh God, daily. Set us ablaze for your purpose, for your kingdom. We love you and we thank you. And all God's people say, Amen. Why don't we give God a big hand? Amen. Can we commit to each other? Let's do life together in cell group. God has given us a family and it's in this church through cell group. All right, let's be committed. Let's be committed to each other. Let's do life together. So turn to someone and say, let's do life together. Amen. Are you blessed by this week's podcast? Tell us at connect at chc.org.sg.